So today we are continuing this Heaven and Ordinary series with Psalm 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there this morning. But actually, instead of me reading it, we have a special treat this morning. Uh, a bunch of young people have recorded the scripture reading for us. And we're going to listen to them and enjoy their leadership as they read through Psalm 13. A reading of Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6. Start us off, Silas. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wonder if you have forgotten me? How long must I feel the sadness in my heart? How long will my enemy win against me? Lord my God, look at me. It gave me an answer. Make me feel strong again, or I will die. If that happens, my enemy will say, I beat him. He will be so happy that he won. But I trust in your faithful love, Lord. I will be happy when you save me. Then I will sing to the Lord because he was so good to me. That was awesome. Thank you to Silas Laurie. Piper Cavallero, Molly Reinhardt, Ruslan Randles, Alicia Hernandez, and Sue Wilbanks for reading scripture for us this morning. Thank you, guys. So that was Psalm 13. Uh, and Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. Uh, and these are psalms that express emotions and experiences of disorientation, of something's upside down in life. And out of that experience, out of those emotions come psalms of lament. Um, and these psalms do express those emotions in uh, a very honest, gritty, and uh, even un uncomfortable way, at least sort of uncomfortable for me. I, you know, emotionally, I'm a pretty even-keeled guy. And so when I read psalms of lament, sometimes they're very surprising to me. Sometimes they're, uh, they're, they're uncomfortable for me. I, back in high school, I, I acted in several plays. And uh, the most memorable one for me to act in was The Crucible. Uh, raise your hand if you know The Crucible story. Uh, most of you, yeah. It's, um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a fictionalized story based on the Salem witch trials back in uh, 17th century Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, <clears throat> so needless to say, it's a, it's a pretty intense uh, play. And I remember watching the 1996 film version with Daniel Day-Lewis and Winona Ryder. It's an amazing uh, production. It was actually Daniel Day-Lewis who inspired me to, to want to be in this play and to audition for that main role of Proctor. So I prepared my audition with the scene where, where Proctor confronts uh, Abigail in the woods about being a fraud. And there's lots of strong emotions and there's yelling. And uh, I gave it my best shot. Uh, but it's really hard for me to feel intense anger and to yell. And so I remember the director looking at me and saying, all right, so when you feel like you're hitting a wall emotionally, you imagine yourself punching through that wall, breaking through that wall into a space of supercharged emotions and just let it out. 
So I, I tried that um, and I did not get the part. Uh, that's okay. Um, good guy got the, the part of Proctor. I got the part of Reverend Paris, which uh, I guess was a sign of things to come for me. But anyway, I, I think that this is what the Psalms are often doing for us or doing for me. And, and they're an incredible gift in that sense because they are helping us break through our emotional walls and just allowing us to let it out. And sometimes that's letting out really dark things, complaints and, uh, and feelings of despair. And sometimes that's letting out things like supercharged joy and praise and exuberance. But in, in doing that for us, the Psalms of Lament sometimes seem to violate uh, rules for how we should interact with God. <laughs> or, or rules that we've maybe set up for ourselves, or we've heard out there somewhere about what it looks like to pray and, and relate to God. Because these, these Psalms, and I think Psalm 13 is an example of this, um, can feel uh, impolite. They are theologically edgy at times. Um, they're, they're unfiltered. And, but it's beautiful because what a Psalm like Psalm 13 shows us is that you don't need to have it all together to talk to God. You don't need to have things figured out to, to relate with God. Um, King David, who wrote this psalm, scriptures talk about him as a man after God's own heart. Um, so if, if anyone should have things kind of figured out, maybe it was David, but I mean, we see in his psalms that he, he didn't. Um, and, and you don't have to have the right words or the right answers or even the appropriate responses to God to, to dive into that relationship and, and to just converse with him. All you need, as the Psalms show us, are yourself and everything that you are and feel and God and, and a willingness to, to have that conversation. And the Psalms are there to teach us how to do that. And, and a lament like Psalm 13 begins by being honest about this disorienting experience. And in verses one and two, then David begins that with a, a complaint, a really honest complaint. So in verses one and two, here's his complaint. And it's phrased by this question, how long? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? And I think if we were perhaps to add some questions to that, some laments to that, uh, it could be some things like, how long will this quarantine last, right? How, how long will you be so far off, God, from saving those who need who need health, who, who need to be preserved? How long will you allow the coronavirus to, to wreak havoc on the world? How long will, be, will I be out of work? How long will I be trapped here at home struggling to experience your goodness? <clears throat> um, sorry, I'm trying to stop my share here. There we go. So, and this, this is how it's best to use the Psalms. Make them your own, you know. Um, take the words that the psalmist is expressing 
and, and rephrase those words to make it personal and to pray them after um, those words. And, and I think in doing so, we really learn how to pray. You know, and even, even as I did that, just as an example, um, that may have resonated with some of you. And then perhaps for others of you, you were thinking, I mean, can we really talk to God like that? Because <laughs> it, again, like it seems impolite, it seems raw. And the answer is absolutely, you can talk to God like that. You have divine permission because this is a, a divinely inspired book of the Bible, inspired literature to be honest about your struggle totally honest about your struggle and, and to genuinely complain to God, to be angry at God. However, uh, there is a difference between this, this prayerful complaint and self-centered whining. Okay. And I, I'm still learning this myself. Like uh, there, there is a difference. And um, I, I, I've been really guided in some beautiful ways by, by others who have written about this, um, one of my favorite books in the Psalms right now is uh, by my friend David Taylor. Um, and it's a book called Open and Unafraid, uh, the, the Psalms as a Guide to Life. So David Taylor says what the Psalms offer is a powerful aid to unhide, to stand on, honestly before God without fear, to face one another vulnerably without shame, and to encounter life in the world without any of the secrets that would demean or distort our humanity. So what's really important about that is that this prayerful complaining we're talking about is the, uh, it's countering the devastating effects of that original sin of hiding from God. Now, a lot of our sinful action actually stems from our, our desire to want to hide some of ourselves from God and from each other. And so this isn't, this isn't self-centered whining because it's seeking to un, uncover those things that in, in our sin and in our, in our selfishness, we would want to hide from God. But we bring those secrets out into the open. We bring those emotions out into the open and we stand there before God uh, talking with him about those things. And, and the spirit works to, to transform us as we pray those things and, and express both our honest sorrow and lament and our, our honest joy. And Psalm 13, we'll get there at the end. But um, to begin, it, it starts with these complaints in verses one and two, and then David moves on to some petitions in verses three and four, where he says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. There, there's a ton in the Psalms about enemies, and we'll talk about that more in coming weeks. But just for now, I think it's really important to say that it is biblically appropriate to name the reality of enemies in your life. Uh, not just people, but any, any person, reality, or force that fights against God's work of transformation and vibrant wholeness in your life. Uh, one of the best commentaries on the Psalms is written by Derek Kidner. Uh, short little reflections on the Psalms, but they're, they're so meaningful. And he says, in connection with Psalm 13, 
that awareness of God and enemy is virtually the hallmark of every Psalm of David. They are the, the positive and negative charges which produce the driving force of his best years. So in other words, <clears throat> we, if we relate that to our experience today, we will gain energy for following Jesus if we have the positive charge of God awareness and the negative charge of enemy awareness. Um, and that could be spiritual enemies, could be physical enemies, enemies that uh, viruses inside our bodies, right? Um, relational enemies, structural enemies, um, enemies like the coronavirus, things that, that we are battling in life. It is important to name those things while maintaining uh, our God awareness. That is the bigger story in which the, those things are framed. So again, the Psalms really uniquely of all biblical literature help us be honest about our enemies um, and how those enemies affect us, even as we seek to live a life of love um, and overcome evil with good. Um, and, and as we do so, what the God awareness means is that we, we keep the big picture in mind. And we remember that one day when Jesus returns, everything and everyone who opposes God's reconciling, renewing, shalom building work in the world will be wiped away. Uh, and when heaven meets earth and God makes all things new, there will be no more enemies. And so our, our experience of, of enemies now at whatever level, spiritual, physical, relational, systemic, um, it, it's meant, if we're honest about that, it's meant to give us a hunger for, for what's to come and for God to, to complete that story. And that's really what drives David to his resolution at the end of this psalm. In verses 5 and 6, we get the, the resolution, which is all about joy. Um, and, and it's with keeping that big picture in mind that David's able to say, yet I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. I think that's amazing. Um, and, and I think it's amazing that these Psalms of Lament that are so raw and unfiltered and almost seem like a wrong way of talking to God, then uh, end in this way. Because they're teaching us not only to express who we are now, what we're experiencing now, what our emotions are in this moment, but the Psalms are, are helping us express who we are becoming, um, where the story is going, where my life is going by God's grace and as a result of his, uh, of his love. So in this, this joy that David expresses at the end of the Psalm and almost every lament Psalm ends this way. It's remarkable. There's only a couple that don't like, uh, I think Psalm 39, Psalm 88, um, end in darkness, but most of them drive toward this. Um, and this is the psalmist, David in this case, uh, turning his attention away from his immediate experience, which is real and important to express, right? We've covered that. So he's turning away from that though, and now he's turning his attention toward the object of his faith, not the experience of his faith, but the object of his faith, which is the timeless, 
reality of God's love and his salvation and his goodness. In other words, even in the deepest lament like we have here in Psalm 13, it's possible for our hearts to rejoice and for us to sing God's praise if we keep the big picture in mind of everything that God has done, everything God is doing, everything that God will do for, for my salvation and the renewal of the whole world, right? Because this is way bigger than my story. It's way bigger than my current uh, individual experience. God's work of rescue spans from creation to new creation, and that is what constantly invites joy. To, to bubble up within us, often right alongside the lament, right alongside the sorrow, or, or going back and forth between the two. That's what the Psalms model for us. Um, because this is the shape of our existence, right? This is, this is what it's like to follow Jesus in between the times um, as we are liberated through our salvation in Christ, but battling those enemies and journeying toward a time when God will make all things new. Uh, this is what it's like to be following after Jesus now and to be, uh, by his spirit, being formed in his image. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you will know that name. Uh, he was a German pastor and theologian who led the Christian resistance against Nazi Germany. Um, he, he was eventually imprisoned. He was eventually executed. And um, during his time in prison, he wrote, many letters, many incredible letters to friends, to former students, um, to his church. And one of those letters he wrote um, during, to his students uh, when he was uh, running the underground seminary in Finkenwald. And Bonhoeffer in this letter addresses how it's possible for joy to exist right alongside lament and sorrow. And he does that by looking at the example of Jesus. So let me share that quote with you. He says, the joy of God has been through the poverty of the manger and the affliction of the cross. Therefore, it is indestructible, irrefutable. It does not deny affliction when it is there, but it finds in the very midst of distress that God is there. It does not argue that sin is not grievous, but in that very place of sin is found forgiveness. It looks death in the face, and it is just there that it finds life. You see, he's saying, because of who Jesus is, because of having the joy of God before him enduring the cross, uh, th this gives us not only our freedom to experience all of these things, but our, but our pattern as well. Uh, we see this in the book of Hebrews, when the author is talking about how Jesus endured the cross with the joy set before him. Um, and the encouragement then to us is to do likewise. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, battled so many enemies, right, in the language of the Psalms, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, to not grow too weary in your honest complaint, in your lament, so that you lose your heart of joy. Um, yes, lament, yes, recognize the battle with sin, recognize that, it's, that this is a hard 
a hard life sometimes. And there's, there's lots to, to be honest about, about that. But don't grow too weary and lose a heart of joy and the ability to sing God's praises. See